Hello, friends, and welcome to episode two of Telegnosis and Tea. I'm your host, Tess, and we are back. We are back for a second episode. In this episode, I think I've worked out all of the tech issues. I think I've worked out, I mean, I've already recorded this twice. This is my third time recording, but oh well, I just know the content a little bit better. So welcome back. I'm glad that you came back a second time. Maybe this is your first time, in which case... Welcome. Yeah, I think I've worked out the tech issues. I think there's like still a little bit of crunch with my microphone, but I think it's okay. Now, I decided that I should talk like a little bit about my own personal haunting that I have right now, because I don't know if you'd be interested in that, but I'm pretty sure I have a ghost cat. So it started out, anytime I was like trying to sleep, I hear scratching on the door and I'd get up and check what it is and it's nothing. There's nothing there because my cat kind of picks at the door if he wants into my bedroom. But even if he's in the bedroom with me, sometimes there's scratching on the door and when I look, there's nothing there. So I thought it was like just a ghost, but I didn't think too much about it. And then I realized it was a ghost cat because I was in the bathroom the other day and I was just at the... Uh, sink and to my left at the sink when I'm looking in the mirror there's a roll of toilet paper next to the toilet and I I hear something I don't know why I looked over and the roll of toilet paper just started unrolling like it was like something was just pulling the toilet paper off the roll and I was like okay yeah I I have a ghost cat. I wondered what kind of ghost I had, but no, I'm pretty sure I'm being haunted by a ghost cat. If anything else happens, I mean, I'll gladly give you updates, but at this point in time, I have a ghost cat. Well, this is Telegnosis and tea, but I'm not drinking tea this time. I'm drinking chocolate milk because I am stressed out. When I'm stressed out, I drink the hard stuff, you know, chocolate milk, because I got this new car in June. It's less than two months old, and today, when I went to the grocery store, some lady pulled out, didn't look at all when she was turning left, and she hit the front bumper of my car. My front bumper was fine, it was a little scuffed, I was super pissed off, her car was dented, I pulled off to the side of the road to, you know, exchange info and whatnot, and she just drove away. And I didn't get a license plate. And that made me angry. So I'm not drinking tea today. I'm drinking chocolate milk. If you're drinking tea, that's probably a good thing. I know tea would calm me down more, but I needed chocolate. Today we're talking about the history of the Ouija board. I'm so excited to talk about this because it's so interesting. It has a wild history. But I want to give a little background onto, you know, what is the Ouija board. So we're going to start off there. So what is it? What is this spirit board? This talking board. So Ouija is a game that's currently sold by Hasbro. Uh, The name Ouija is a trademark of Hasbro. And so I decided to just take the description off of the Hasbro gaming website. So here we go, direct from the website. It says, description, enter the world of the mysterious and mystifying with the Ouija board. You've got questions and the spirit world has answers, and the uncanny Ouija board is your way to get them. What do you want to know? Ask your questions with a friend using the planchette that comes with the board, but be patient and concentrate, because the spirits can't be rushed. Handle the Ouija board with respect, and it won't disappoint you. Ages 8 and up. So, that's the description from the website. You can purchase it. Looks like it's $16.99. I tried. Sold out everywhere around me. I couldn't order it online, so... Well, I I could order it online, but I wanted to buy, like, the $16.99 game and not the, like, over $50 collector's edition, just because I wanted to 
just play with it and that's it. I wasn't really looking to collect it. So I don't know if you are in the States, I think you could still buy it. It's kind of like the Nintendo, uh, what is it? Nintendo Switch. I think everyone got a Ouija board for COVID, but we'll talk more about that later anyway. Oh, and this is totally like a side note. I meant to say this in the beginning, but I'm going to say this now before I forget again. If you listened to the first episode on Titanic conspiracy theories, then I mentioned how I was going to talk about my personal relationship to the Titanic, and then I just completely forgot to mention it. So as a sidetrack, we'll get back to Ouija boards. My great-grandma was supposed to go on the Titanic. As far as we knew, the Titanic was full and that's why she didn't get on. But after I did some research and we found out, of course, the Titanic wasn't full, my dad and I think that perhaps it was more of a money thing that she didn't go on the Titanic, but she took the next boat right after the Titanic, which is scary, but thank goodness. Because who knows if I would be here, she would have been in steerage. The other thing that I wanted to talk about quickly, I, I swear I'll get back to the Ouija boards, uh, the giant um, twirly staircase that's in the center of the Titanic. I meant to quickly talk about it just because some people theorize that it was probably blasted out through the roof of the Titanic when it sank, which is also what happened on the set of the Titanic, the 1990s movie when they were filming it. The pressure of the water literally like shot the wooden staircase into the air and that's what people think happened on the Titanic as well. It's not really a big theory that's why I thought I'd just throw it in now. Okay getting back to the Ouija board I won't get distracted again. The Ouija board is a flat board. It has the letters A to Z in two arched rows in the center on the top. The numbers 0 to 9 are on the bottom in a flat line. In the two corners top corners of the board are yes and no and at the very bottom in the middle goodbye is written. The Ouija board is often used, well, always used with a planchette, which is the French word for little plank. It's um, a heart-shaped object, usually made of flat wood, but now it's made out of plastic if you buy the Hasbro game. Planchettes were used before talking boards. Originally, a planchette had two wheels and a pencil holder at the tip, so the wheels were on the bubbles of the heart, the pencil was on the tip, and You would put your fingers on it, uh, used in the 1850s and onward in the Victorian era, and it was used for atomic writing. So the pencil that was at the top would write out words, of course spirits would go through you, that's what atomic writing is, and they would write out words. Contrary to popular belief, it was actually not invented by Alan Kardec, who is a French educator and the founder of spiritism. However, that's the first recording of a planchette and what it is and what it does was recorded by him on June 10th in 1853. Afterwards, there's a huge boom. Planchettes became so popular and so much so that in the 1860s, there were tons of companies making planchettes. They took on a whole bunch of different shapes and materials. But the basic function was always the same for atomic writing. One company, Kirby & Co., were called the kings of planchette manufacturing. They sold a whopping 200,000 planchettes in the first season of selling them in 1868. Nowadays, planchettes are majority just used with Ouija boards to dictate messages by pointing to the letters or numbers on the board, or by showing the letters or numbers on the board through a glass window that's on the planchette. Throughout time, Mediums have never been a fan of the planchette or the talking board. This is because they see it as cutting out the middleman. Now people had a direct line of contact with spirit. They didn't need to pay mediums to contact them for them. So there have been a lot of protests and mediums are not happy that they are so readily available or they weren't happy. Now it's it's different, but in the 1800s, they were not happy. 
The Ouija board game itself is still essentially the same as when it was first sold. Two or more players put their fingertips on the planchette and they ask questions. Answers are spelled out with a planchette without the participants pushing it themselves. The largest difference between boards that were sold originally and boards that are sold now is the boards that were sold originally were wood, but now boards are cardboard and like I said the planchette used to also be wood, but now it's plastic. And now, the crazy history of the Ouija board. In 1891, the first advertisement for a Ouija board was run in a newspaper. I'm going to post a picture of this on Instagram because it's really cool to look at the very first uh, advertisement. But the headline said, Ouija, the wonderful talking board, from a Pittsburgh toy and novelty shop. It was named the most interesting, remarkable, and mysterious production of the 19th century. It could answer questions about the past, present, and future with marvelous accuracy. And it promised never-failing amusement and recreation for all the classes. As well, it unites the known with the unknown, the material with the immaterial, and the price was only $1.49. But where did the Ouija board come from? There's a Ouija board historian, his name is Robert Murch, and he's been researching the entire history of the Ouija board since 1992. I'm going to put a picture as well on Instagram. The Ouija board came from the American 19th century obsession with spiritualism and trying to communicate with the dead. But talking boards have been known to be used as far back as 551 BC in ancient China, as well as having been used in ancient Greece and Rome, or so we think. It's totally possible that the talking boards that are referenced are not really talking boards, but a different means of commuting with the dead that is possibly lost in translation. The Museum of Talking Boards website says to think of it like a car and a horse. They'll both carry you where you want to go, but if you call your car a horse, it's not quite accurate. Ancient Rome is often quoted as being one of the places with the first record of a talking board, and this is when two men were convicted of treason after consulting a board on who the next emperor would be. I, it wasn't a talking board in the sense of a board with letters on it. It was, I would say, a cross between a pendulum and a talking board. It, it was a super interesting and similar instrument, though. But it, it, fashion was the same. It was trying to get the letters from spirit to find out who the next emperor would be. Fourth century Roman historian Ammianus Marcellinus wrote the narrative of the two individuals, Patricius and Hilarus, and wrote that the men pled before the court. So I'm going to read what was said because it explains exactly what they did, how they used this uh, device to communicate, and it's so cool. But it is very old-timey, uh, old-timey writing, so bear with me. My lords, in an unlucky moment, we put together out of laurel twigs in the shape of the Delphic tripod the hapless little table before you. We consecrated it with cryptic spells and a long series of magical rites, and at last we made it work. The way in which we did it so, when we finished to consult it about hidden matters, was this. It was placed in the middle of a room, thoroughly fumigated with spices from Arabia, and was covered with a round dish made from the alloys of various metals. The outer rim of the dish was cunningly engraved with the twenty-four letters of the alphabet separated by accurate intervals. A man dressed in linen garments and wearing linen sandals with a fillet around his head and green twigs from a lucky tree in his hand officiated as priest. After uttering a set of prayer to invoke the divine power which presides over prophecy, 
he took his place above the tripod as his knowledge of the proper ritual had taught him and set swinging a ring suspended by a very fine cotton thread which had been consecrated by a mystic formula the ring moving in a series of jumps over the marked spaces came to rest on particular letters which made up hexameters approximate to the questions put and in perfect scansion and rhythm like the lines produced by delphi or by the oracle of the branchidae going back to the eighteen hundreds now in eighteen forty eight the fox sisters became an overnight sensation and caused a boom in trying to contact the dead the fox sisters claimed that they could receive messages from spirits and who when they asked questions would tap on the walls to give answers and here's just a little side tidbit on the fox sisters because super interesting they were three sisters margaretta also known as maggie catherine also known as kate and leah who played a large part in the actual creation of spiritualism the two younger sisters kate and maggie convinced their older sister leah that they could communicate with spirits and began a tour of the usa with leah as their manager kate and maggie began this tour when they were only 10 and 14 at the time in 1848 following the boom in spiritualism holding seances to contact the dead was seen as a wholesome and acceptable activity and fun for the whole family most of this came from the fact that the average lifespan was less than 50 at the time. As well, spiritualism was compatible with the Christian dogma. You could hold a table-turning seance party on Saturday with your whole family and then go to church on Sunday, and it was all right. During the Civil War especially, spiritualism grew. People were desperate to connect with loved ones that had gone to war and never returned home. Frustration began to grow, though, with how long it took to receive messages by waiting for knocks on the walls, sometimes called alphabet calling. You would knock out the letters of the alphabet until you heard a knock on the wall. It would go like this. A. B. C. A. A. B. C. And so on. <laughs> At this time, the telegraph had been around for decades, and people began to go, surely there had to be a faster way to talk to the dead. So in 1886, the fledging Associated Press reported this new contraption, a talking board, being used in a spiritualist camp in Ohio. It was essentially a Ouija board. They had letters and numbers and a planchette-like device to point to them. One man... Charles Kennard of Baltimore, Maryland, was very interested in this talking board. And in 1890, he found four other investors, Elijah Bond, an attorney, Colonel Washington Bowie, a surveyor, and two other people we're not quite sure of. And together, they created the Kennard Novelty Company, which was made exclusively to make and market talking boards. Charles Kennard and none of his investors were spiritualists, but they were businessmen. Elijah Bond, the attorney, had a sister-in-law named Helen Peters, who came up with the name Ouija for the talking board. She was referred to as a strong medium, and when using the talking board one day, they asked the board what they should name it. The board spelled out Ouija, and when they asked the board what it meant, the board said good luck. At the time, Peters was wearing a locket that had a picture of a woman with the name Ouija above her head. This bit of information was found out because of letters that had been exchanged between the Ouija founders. It is more likely, though, that the locket contained a picture of famous author and women's rights activist Ouida, who Peters was super fond of. She admired her quite a bit at the time. It is also because of Peters that Ouija was able to be patented. The only way the patenting board would agree to the Ouija board being patented was if the founders could prove that it actually worked. Elijah Bond and Helen Peters took the patent. 
I'm getting mixed up. Elijah Bond and Helen Peters took to the patent office, where the patent officer said if the board could accurately spell out his name, which was supposed to be unknown to Bond or Peters, he would allow the product to be patented. The three sat down, and his name was accurately spelled out, allowing for the Ouija board to be patented as a new toy or game on February 10th, 1891. Of course, whether it was the board that knew the officer's name, or because Elijah Bond was actually a patent attorney, we will never know, but the patent officer believed it, and it was patented. They began to sell, and the Ouija board was a hit. By 1892, the Kennard Novelty Company, still only selling the Ouija board, had gone from having one factory in Baltimore, to two factories in Baltimore, two in New York, two in Chicago, and one in London. In 1893, both Elijah Bond and Charles Kennard were no longer associated with the company. The reasons why they left are unclear, but a lot of what's cited is money changes people. Interpret that as you will. By this time, a man by the name of William Fold was running the company. He had came into the company as a factory employee and stockholder, and worked his way up. As a side note, also in 1893, spiritualism became an official religious denomination, and by 1897, the New York Times reported that spiritualism had 8 million followers worldwide. In 1898, Colonel Bowie, who was now the majority, majority shareholder and only one of the two remaining original investors, licensed exclusive rights to make talking boards. Due to this, an argument occurred over who really invented talking boards. Articles circled in newspapers, and the argument played out in the pages of the Baltimore Sun, while talking board companies that tried to rival Ouija boards started and failed. In 1919, Colonel Bowie, who seemingly had had enough of the constant argument, sold his shares to Fold for a whopping $1, which today would be about $13.50 with inflation. Fold was now running the Kennard Novelty Company as a majority shareholder until 1927 when he fell to his death from a new factory that the Ouija board had told him to build in one of the weirdest deaths imaginable. What happened was William Fold was supervising the installation of a flagpole onto the roof of the new factory when he seemingly fell off the roof for no reason. He caught himself briefly on the fall, but the window slammed shut on his fingers and Fold continued to fall. He only suffered a concussion, however, and broken bones, but on the transportation to the hospital, a broken rib pierced Fold's heart and he passed away. The Ouija board, though, continued to be a hit. As the years went on, its popularity grew during times of uncertainty. During the Civil War, World War I, Prohibition, the Ouija board's popularity spiked. It was so normal to play the Ouija board that in May 1920, Norman Rockwell drew a picture for the Saturday Evening Post of a man and woman happily communing with the spirits. And I will put the picture of that on Instagram. During the Great Depression, the newly named Fold Company had to open new factories nationwide to meet the demands of the spirit boards. That's right, during the Great Depression, Ouija boards were so popular that they had to build new factories. This is likely due to people trying to find hope in areas where they could, so they were trying to use Ouija boards to find out if things were going to get better, have a way to pass the time, those sorts of things. One New York department store reported selling 50,000 Ouija boards over a five-month period in 1944. And in 1951, the Ouija board was even on television as a popular household game, being played by Lucy and Ethel during a seance on an episode of I Love Lucy. In 1966, the Parker brothers bought the Ouija board from the Fold Company. And in the following year, 1967, while more American troops were sent to Vietnam and race riots were happening in Newark, Detroit, Minneapolis, and Milwaukee, the Parker brothers reported selling over 2 million Ouija boards, which outsold even Monopoly that year. 
the Ouija board existed as a popular game, being viewed as relatively harmless, bearing a few cases of murder blamed on the Ouija board. But in popular culture, it was a fun household game. Um, it was featured on television shows. It was seen as a jokey and silly family game until 1973, when everything changed. In 1973, everything changed for the Ouija board with the release of a little movie called The Exorcist. In The Exorcist, there's a 12-year-old girl named Regan, and she becomes possessed by a demon after playing with the Ouija board. Robert Murch, the Ouija historian, said of this film and its impact on Ouija boards, quote, It's a clear line. For at least 10 years afterwards, it's no joke. The Exorcist actually changed the fabric of pulp culture. Seemingly overnight, the board went from just a fun game to a tool used to contact the devil. It was denounced by religious groups as a means of contacting Satan and became a new favorite for horror movie makers and horror book writers alike. After Hasbro bought Parker Brothers in 1991, they continued to sell hundreds of thousands of boards, though the reason why they were selling these boards had changed. Ouija boards have become more popular once again. As I mentioned earlier, I can't even get a hold of one, as there has been a rise in economic uncertainty, and because of the popularity of the board in so many recent movies, including the movie Ouija, which made in 2014 the sales of Ouija boards go up by 300%. I can't find out right now how sales have been doing since COVID-19 hit, like how many more boards they've been selling or not, but I imagine it's a lot. <laughs> So that is the basic history of the Ouija board. Does it actually contact spirits? Or is there some other reason why it seems like a planchette is moving across the board and speaking to us? While some scientists who are complete party poopers blame it on the ideometer effect. It started in 1852. Physician and physiologist William Benjamin Carpenter published a report for the Royal Institution of Great Britain, which examined atomic muscular movements that take place when no conscious will or volition of the person happens. So many examples of this are flinching when somebody pretends to punch you, crying at a sad movie, jump scares in movies, those sorts of things. Some people say this is why the planchette moves. It's not spirits, but us, sub us subconsciously moving it when we don't feel we have control over it and the moves are actually us, but they're involuntary. An experiment on the ideometer effect and Ouija boards was conducted in 2012. This was conducted at the University of British Columbia. Participants were asked a series of yes or no questions. Without the board, participants got about 50% of the yes or no questions right. These were questions like, is the capital city of Canada Ottawa? Things like that. Very clear yes or no questions. With the board, participants got 65% of the answers correct. Somehow, this led researchers to believe that we're unlocking knowledge through our subconscious by use of the ideometer effect coming out through the Ouija board. I have not read a single study that I actually believe, because this is not conclusive, in my opinion. Okay, I'm not a scientist, but seriously, like, I could just as easily say this definitely proves that we're talking to spirits because they got more answers right when they were using a spirit talking board than they did when they were just going off of their own memory. How can you conclusively say that the ideometer effect is from, like, how, how can you say that this is unlocking your subconscious? I don't get it. And if someone who is sciencey can tell me if I am completely wrong, and this is like obviously, you know, just us subconsciously moving the planchette around the board, then 
email me telegnosisandtea at gmail.com but I think that you can't conclusively say anything from that experiment. I mean, you can conclusively say that if someone has a board in front of them, they'll get more answers right. It doesn't have to be a spirit board. Like, there's no definite reason that because they were using a spirit board, it unlocked the answers in the participants' minds. These same scientists then also speculated that if the Ouija board can unlock knowledge that's hidden in our subconscious, then we could potentially use Ouija boards to treat Alzheimer's. Which is just what we need, a giant group of Alzheimer's patients just getting possessed by demons and using spirit boards. I, I don't want to go on a rant, but I can just picture a bunch of Alzheimer's patients having to learn how to use a Ouija board and then accidentally summoning a demon into the old age home, and then there's just... It's not a good scene. It could be a horror movie, but it's not a good scene. So take from the idiometer effect what you will. I, I Sure, I think it's a thing. Do I cry at sad movies without, you know, consciously thinking about crying? Yeah. Do I flinch when somebody, like, pretends to punch me or goes quickly at my face or something? Yeah. So definitely I agree that we can have movements that happen as a result of outward causes. And, you know, we're not consciously thinking about that stuff all the time. It's in our subconscious to just react to things. But I thoroughly don't believe that the talking board is simply us moving it ourselves. But hey, you know, you want to tweet me on Twitter, it's TelegnosisPod. If you want to comment on Instagram, it's TelegnosisAndTea. If you want to email me, TelegnosisAndTea at gmail.com, tell me I'm wrong. I want to I know your opinions. Or you can agree with me. I also like that too. <laughs> so here's some interesting things. These are just quick tidbits. These are weird tales of the Ouija board, just short little tales that I find very interesting. In 1916, Miss, Mrs. Pearl Curran claimed that the spirit of a 17th century English woman by the name of Patience Worth was dictating stories and poems to her through the Ouija board. The next year, in 1917, Mrs. Curran's friend, Emily Grant Hutchison, claimed her novel Jap Heron had been dictated to her through the Ouija board as well by none other than Samuel Clemens, better known by his pen name, Mark Twain. In 1920, members of the public were turning to Ouija board for answers to try and solve the murder of Joseph Burton Elwell in New York City. In 1921, a New York woman was sent to a psychiatric hospital for mania. She blamed the Ouija board spirits for telling her to leave her mother's dead body in the living room for 15 days before burying it in the backyard. In 1930, two women in Buffalo, New York blamed the murder of another woman on the encouragement of spirits talking to them through the Ouija board. In 1941, a 23-year-old gas station attendant from New Jersey told the New York Times he had joined the army because a Ouija board had told him to. In 1958, a Connecticut court ruled against honoring a will left by Mrs. Helen Dow Peck. She left $1,000 to two former servants of hers and $152,000 to a Mr. John Gale Forbes, a spirit that supposedly contacted Mrs. Peck frequently through her Ouija board. In 1982, James Merrill won the National Book Critics Circle Award for his Ouija-dictated poem entitled The Changing Light at Sandover. It's 560 pages long, and from what I could find about this poem, it's based on spirits and possession. I did try and find some excerpts of it, but I wasn't able to find any online. Uh, if somebody has that book, though, I would love to hear some excerpts of it, because just from what I, I gleaned, very interesting. For this next section, I want to try and find people 
who I know who have used Ouija boards, but unfortunately I talked to everyone and no one that I know has ever used a Ouija board before or has never had anything happen. The closest that I got was my mom when she was younger got a Ouija board for Christmas, but whether it actually worked, she has no idea because she and her brother would always just blame each other for moving it and nothing else happened. So I decided to go to the source for all scary stories to get some real Ouija stories. So these are from Reddit under Paranormal. This is under a thread posted by a user who has been deleted who asked, what are some of your coolest, scariest, or strangest Ouija board stories? So I'm gonna read these to you. These are a few that I found that I thought were pretty entertaining. So here we go. Life in Hex Colors said, I have a really good one. When I was 13 and my now deceased sister was 14, we decided, after watching an old movie about Ouija boards, to make our own. Since our house was being renovated at the time, there were tons of materials in the backyard that we thought we could use, such as wood planks and whatnot, so we went scavenging. We found one of these and taped a piece of paper over it and drew our board with all the elements. I was an easily scared child and she was fearless, so I told her to maneuver the board and that I wouldn't touch it. She laughed at me and we proceeded to ask questions. A spirit came through, told us his name was Roger and that he had died of food poisoning. During that time, our older sister, our oldest sister, who was pregnant and visiting us, was upstairs vacuuming and doing some cleaning. We had a central vacuum, and the box was in the closet just beside my bedroom downstairs, in which we were playing with the board. It was pretty noisy in the room because of the vacuum cleaner. If our sister had spoken to us, we would not have heard her. So fast forward to a few minutes of silence from the board when suddenly the planchette starts spinning really fast and spells out our sister's name, name redacted, wants to talk to you. We were puzzled as we didn't hear her talk to us. At that moment, the vacuum stopped and she yelled at us to come help her with chores. We were pretty freaked out about that coincidence and decided to throw the board away in the backyard. It was similar to this. And uh, there's a f there was a photo linked, but it it's not available anymore. We weren't allowed to wander off in the semi-ravine that had formed, and it wasn't fenced, so we knew not to get too close. We threw the board in the ravine and forgot about it. The next day, it was very warm outside, and my sister came to ask me if I wanted to go for a swim in our pool. I said yes, and we each went to our bedrooms to put on our swimsuit. We go outside by the back door, and right there, laying by the pool, is the board. We exchanged a deeply horrified look, threw it away a second time very far down in the ravine, and never spoke of the story again to anyone. I wish she was here to tell you about it. It was pretty freaky. Yes, indeed. Life in hex colors. That is freaky. <laughs> I've heard about... Actually, I, I've heard so many stories about Ouija boards coming back or being found at back doors and stuff. Oh, it's so creepy. All right, next story. Zombie Thoven, Zombie Thoven, Zombie Thoven said, A friend of mine was really eager to get rid of her board. She said that no matter where she used it or with whom, the same spirit slash entity would always try to contact her. She'd been keeping it in the bed of her truck for months because she didn't want it in her house. I didn't believe her and I'd always wanted one, so I took it and I left it in the trunk of my car. Fast forward six months to my boyfriend and I being bored in our apartment one night. I decided to pull out the board and see what would happen. Nothing did. Not surprised. I left the board boxed on our table and forgot about it. Not long after, weird shit started happening. It's always the way it happens. At first it was odd, but pretty innocuous. I was reading on the toilet one day when the shower curtain next to me was ripped open. I thought it was the cats, but the bathroom door was closed, and when I stepped out, all three were fast asleep on the bed. A few days later, I was walking through the living room when the vacuum cleaner turned on by itself. 
Not too odd, I figured. Again, I thought the cats must have bumped into it, but when I looked I saw the vacuum wasn't plugged in. As soon as I realized this, it stopped. I told my boyfriend about it, but he didn't believe me until things started happening to him. I worked night shift, so he spent a few nights a week alone in the apartment. One morning I came in to find him sitting up in bed looking shaken. The fact that he was awake alone was strange. He usually slept like a rock until I came home from work to wake him up. Even more unsettling was the fact that he looked so freaked out. This guy had always been the fearless daredevil type, and has had his own experiences with the supernatural. He said nothing had freaked him out this badly before. He woke up in the middle of the night, and while he sat in bed he heard an extremely loud crash in the living room. So loud it shook the apartment. He insisted that it was definitely in the apartment and not in the apartment and not one of the neighbors. He likened it to the sound of a table being hurled across the room and into a wall. When he got up to check, nothing was amiss. The cats couldn't have knocked anything over because we were getting ready to move and most of our things were packed and furniture was moved. He got back in bed a bit shaken and then something was thrown at him. He didn't want to investigate and couldn't sleep, so he sat in bed waiting for me to get home. When I looked, I found my hair straightener in the bed. The straightener was always plugged in on the bathroom counter. Whatever had thrown it would have had to unplug it and bring it around the corner into the bedroom to throw it at the bed. Alright, I'm, I'm getting creeped out myself just reading this. <laughs> I had my foot over the side of my bed and now it is up on my bed so no monsters can grab me. Anyway, back to the story. That was my own, that was my own side point. Back to the story. A few nights later, we came home and our cats were very agitated. Our cat Sabrina was especially distraught. She came running up to us meowing and running back into our office then back out again like she was trying to get our attention. We went back to investigate and found our heavy computer speaker had been lifted off the desk and wedged perfectly into the corner of the room about six feet away with all the connections intact. She kept pacing by the speaker meowing and hissing. Creepy. We moved into our new house not long after but by this point we'd started to suspect the Ouija board. I didn't bring it into the house. I left it in the downstairs storage area. For reference, you can only enter the house through the garage. There's a door leading into a storage area laundry room, and our door is off of the storage room. The storage room felt ominous, and a few times while I was down there, the door into the garage would open of its own accord and then slam shut. The door is tricky and likes to stick in the frame, so it's rather difficult to open. One night, I got a feeling of intense foreboding and went downstairs. Sabrina was sitting at the door that leads to the storage room with her fur on end and growling. That was enough. I have theories on apartment poltergeist slash mingling of human energy and the like, but I was not going to stand for anything in our new house. I took that shit to Goodwill the next day. Since then, there's been no inexplicable weirdness in the house. Why would you- Don't take haunted Ouija boards to, to Goodwill, please. You're just haunting the Goodwill. <laughs> I don't why would I don't know why you wouldn't just throw it away. <laughs> You've just passed on the demon. <laughs> zombie Zombie Thoven Thoven has another story as well and goes on to say This one is a bit more creepy. Happened to my best friend when she was a teenager. She and a few of her friends took the board to an old church one night. For reference, two of the party had dated and then broken up. I don't remember the names, so I'll call them CJ, a female, and JP, a male. My friend sat down with CJ and another girl with the boards. Everyone else just sat around and watched. Before long, they made contact with something and started asking it questions. My friend asked, Who here do you love the most? The eye turned and pointed to CJ. She then asked who it hated the most. The eye pointed to JP, CJ's ex. 
JP got pissed off and started to walk away. He had to pass them to leave, and as he did, the eye pulled away from their hands and the board turned on its own so the eye was always pointing to JP. The board wasn't a cheap cardboard one either. It was an old, heavy one and would have required very visible effort to move smoothly. For curiosity's sake, we had him walk in a circle around the board and it turned in a complete circle several times, always following him with no one touching it. They packed their shit, noped the fuck out of there, and never used the board again. TLDR, weird activity started up in my apartment after using a Ouija board. Didn't stop until I got rid of it. Friend's Ouija board turned in circles with no one touching it. And that is a no from me. Absolutely not. I I would have noped right the fuck out of there as well. That is terrifying. And our last story comes by a user... By the name of Wa-Wa-Wee. <laughs> they say, Spend a couple of summers at an old rectory that was rumored to be haunted by a chaplain that lived there long ago, in addition to a child that drowned nearby. The rectory consisted of a main building, in addition to small houses nearby, that either was used by servants, nuns, monks, or farmers before. So these, these days, there was a lot of families renting these old houses or rooms in the main building during the summer holiday. We met about six other teenagers around me and my brother's age from 14 to 18 years old. Due to this rumor about the haunting, we decided to try to communicate through a homemade Ouija board. First session was pretty boring. We asked mostly about who they were, when they were born and such. The interesting part was that most of the information we got lined pretty well up with what was written down in the records of people who lived in the area, which was a small place far out in the country. One of the kids that we did had... One of... Okay, I'm... I'm reading their writing. One of kids that we did had these sessions with had a grandmother that was newly deceased who used to spend a lot of time on this place during the summers and the rest of the year when it wasn't that cold outside. She convinced us to try and make contact with her grandmother. So at the next session, after the initial asking who we were, asking who we had contact, and so forth, so forth. I'm gonna start the sentence over again. <laughs> so at the next session, after the initial asking who we had contact, and so forth, we asked if her grandma was present and got the yes. We then asked if she was nearby and also got the yes, so we asked for a sign. At this point, we were sitting in the upper floor in the main building inside one of the rooms that was for rent, a small room with a single window which was closed and two bunk beds. Everyone was looking around, somewhat scared, waiting for something to happen. After a short while, we heard the sound of someone in wooden clogs coming up the stairs. And about halfway up the stairs, a hoarse voice calling out the girl's name. And at the end, the steps stop right outside the door. We're now sitting in circle on the floor. Six people. One girl is sitting with her back to the door. On her right side, the granddaughter waiting for something to happen. Suddenly, the girl sitting closest to the door starts hyperventilating and tears fill her eyes. We're all basically frozen in fear at this point. It's really hard to get a feeling for how fast time went, but not long after it started, it stops and starts with the person on her left doing the same. I don't think I really understood at that time that I was next in line. It ended with the person next to me and I suddenly felt something touch my shoulders. It wasn't completely like the physical touch of a human, but it definitely was something that put weight on my shoulders. I, of course, freeze and start hyperventilating at the shock of something unknown touching me. When this had gone halfway through the circle, it jumps straight at the granddaughter, who starts with the same hyperventilating and breaks down crying. Then the door suddenly opens. 
We all jump into all corners of the room trying to hide. This is the most scared I can recall having been so far. Luckily, this is one of our parents, who at an earlier point claimed to be a medium of some sort. She claimed to have felt something was wrong, which is why she went upstairs despite renting at another of the small houses nearby. She helped us end the session, and nothing more happened. Except that we're all scared as shit that night. Um, yeah. I have nothing to add. That's terrifying. Alright, my friends. You've gotten this far, and for some reason, you still want to play with a Ouija board. Or maybe you just want to know the rules in case you end up in a situation where a Ouija board is being used, you're in the same room. Here are the rules for using a Ouija board. Two or more people place fingers lightly on a planchette. Do not play Ouija board alone. Ask questions, but you can never ask about God or when or how you're going to die. Answers will be spelled out. It works better when there's no electronics around and to the light of a candle with incense burning. If you burn a Ouija board and it screams, those who hear the screams will have 36 hours to live. However, for goodness sakes, do not burn a Ouija board. I've heard so many stories about people burning Ouija boards and then things get worse and just nobody learns from this. Coming from experience, which I have decided I'm going to share on Patreon as a Patreon exclusive, my stories with the supernatural, etc. Shameless Patreon plug for a Patreon that I haven't even set up yet. Uh, if you burn a haunted object, you are not... I don't know. I don't know what people think they're doing when they burn a haunted object. Dispersing the spirit, I guess? Just burning it into oblivion? That's not what happens when you burn the object. Basically, you're just burning whatever object the spirit is housed in, and now it's free to just float around and haunt whatever it wants to, or attach onto you if it needs some sort of something to be attached to. And if you free it, especially from a Ouija board, which if you go into it thinking that you're going to bring in negative energy, it will bring in negative energy, and then you burn the board, it's going to attach to you. So, here's what you do. If you find yourself in the situation where you have a Ouija board that you really need to get rid of because it's haunted as heck, what you need to do, or if you have another object that is haunted as heck, it happens. I've had a couple. Put it in running water. If you can't put it in running water, just put it in water. Fill a bathtub. Put it in the bathtub until you can get to a large body of all-natural water, a lake, big river, something like that, and just, you just dump it in there. I don't, I feel bad, of course, talking about just dumping stuff into a river. It's not good for nature, and that's why you shouldn't play with the Ouija board in the first place and risk getting haunted. But if you are, the only way to deal with a spirit that is that angry and upset is to put it in running water. It can't get through water, especially running water. Don't go back later and fish it out. It's still in there. It's never going to stop being in there, but it, it's harmless if it's underwater. Also, maybe don't put it in a place where someone else is going to find it and fish it out. Maybe just put it in a hidden spot that's underwater. As well, don't play in a graveyard. Only the leader can ask questions. It's polite to ask the spirits to introduce themselves. And always, always, always end the session with goodbye. And I've added these last two in. When in doubt, listen to your gut. Your gut's going to tell you if you're doing something wrong. And afterwards, cleanse that room, bish. Just cleanse it. Get your crystals going. Get some incense going. Burn some candles. Clear that energy. But I don't know why you would do it in your house anyway. I, ooh, ooh. 
I am not one who's going to play with Ouija boards, but you do you. If you have any Ouija board stories, please send them to me. I am so interested to hear them. But that is our episode, my friends. Thank you for joining me again. And thank you for listening. If you made it this far, this is, I think, the longest podcast I've had yet, so self-high five. Um, I also filmed it all in one session with no fan going, no AC, no window open. Like, the audio is going to be, I'm just going to say top-notch, but I wouldn't really say top-notch. I'm going to say, like, better than usual. <laughs> anyway, thanks again. If you have spooky stories, true crime stories, paranormal stories, cryptid stories, alien stories, anything weird or unusual, please send them to me. The address is telegnosisandtea at gmail.com. That is telegnosis, T-E-L-E-G-N-O-S-I-S and T at gmail.com. Also, you can find pictures from today's episode on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is telegnosisandt, and you can tweet at us. Tell us if you liked the episode, tell us if you didn't like it, tell us if you have any suggestions about episodes for the future. Our handle on Twitter is telegnosispod, and that's all for today. So I hope you guys have a very wonderful rest of your summer, or whenever you're listening to this. And stay spooky, my friends. Goodbye!